Hello, welcome back to the Matt Pfeiffer Experience. I am your host, Matthew Pfeiffer, and today we have on a very special guest. We have Lauren Hunt. She is out of upstate New York. And if you guys have been following me for a while, you guys know that I used to live in New York. So before we hop off, we have to figure out if she dips her wings in blue cheese or ranch. I have a suspicion that she's going to make the right decision. I'm not going to tell you the reasons why. But Lauren, welcome to the Matt Pfeiffer Experience, and we are so thankful to have you, and we're excited for you to share a lot of your knowledge and a lot of your experience. Uh, for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, I love interviewing uh, interviewing attorneys and people who help out with high-conflict divorce and breakups, custody situations, that sort of thing. But I only bring people on that I would that I would hire myself, that I would recommend to other friends, family members. Uh, and she's someone that we've come across on Instagram, and she has a TikTok platform. Uh, we love our our people who are on social media. And so, Lauren, thank you. Welcome to the show. And I'm going to kick it over to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started. Um, well, first, thank you so much for inviting me on. I've, I've watched your content. I've followed along with you. And I'm always just so impressed because you have very, very helpful and informative content, which I think is something that uh, is a perfect way to use social media for people well, in you. our world. Sure. Um, so I'm very excited to be um, connecting with you today. Um, so in terms of a little bit about me, um, I was born and raised in Buffalo, as we kind of uh, quickly hinted on, um, but I moved over to Albany for undergrad, which is where I currently live, moved over to Albany for undergrad and just sort of have made the capital region my home. So uh, this is where I've gone to law school. I've started my family. This is my my location. Um, after law school, I started working with a local organization who assists victims of domestic violence, providing or securing orders of protection, orders of custody. Um, it was an incredibly rewarding um, position and one where I learned a ton. Um, and it also really made me realize that, hey, you know, this is where I could use my law degree to actually impact change, right? Um, and those cases are very tough cases, but like I said, very rewarding. From there, I went into private practice and I now own my own firm. I have a few attorneys that work with me. I'm both an attorney as well as a mediator. Um, so I'm both in the courtroom and out of the courtroom. Um, and I think really the the focus with, with our, with the way we handle our world is that all of our actions as attorneys impact our clients, right? Mm -hmm. Because a letter I might send uh, during the day is going to impact potentially how the dinner table happens, right? If people are still living together and if they're still not, if they're not living together, it very well could happen how, you know, they're connecting at the baseball game that night for their son or daughter. Um, yeah. So we try very, very hard to make sure that our actions are within a realm that we try not to impact what's going on more than what's already happening because mm -hmm. divorces, post-divorce, it can be intense, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, so we try really hard to work with our clients and give them very good advice in terms of the long end, the long game, right? Yeah. Yes, we need, we have goals that we want right now, but really your biggest focus should be five years from now, 10 years mm -hmm. from now. What do you want your life and your kid's life to look at like at that point? Yeah, I, I, that's something I talk about a lot. You know, and something when, when I was, when I, when I was practicing therapy before I became a full-time content creator, I used to tell people that you're, the way that you heal, a lot of times people think that you have to heal first, then go live life, but it's actually the opposite, that you have to decide what type of life you want to live, and then that starts the healing process. But when we, and you kind of alluded to that just now in terms of what do I want my life to be like in five years, but from 
working with domestic violence victims, you probably have seen where people struggle even deciding what they're going to have for lunch that day, let alone what, what is my life going to be like in five years? Uh, what, what are some common issues that you've seen with people who might struggle of seeing like a future of what their life would look like and how do you advocate and, and what do you do to work through those issues with someone like that? So that's an excellent question. Um, when I have somebody who I can sense, maybe they're very, they, they know, hey, there's been DV in my world, but a lot of times they don't realize it, right? Yeah. That imbalance of power and control, it can be so encompassing. So a lot of the times, if I can notice it, I'll mention to them, hey, would you be willing to connect with a counselor? Just because it could be good additional support for you to have going through this divorce. Um, and then I'll suggest to them, hey, as you're talking to that counselor, here are some things to maybe discuss with them. You know, what do you want your world to look like? Not just, I want the house, right? Like yeah. in five years, I want to live in the same house. No. What do you truly like walk through your day? And sometimes yeah. that's what I tell them. Pretend it's five years down the road. You wake up in the morning, walk through your day. What is your day like at that time? Right. And then we distill that down with the client into three concrete goals. Yeah. Certainly they do this sometimes with me. If they have a counselor, I strongly suggest that they work through it with the counselor because it's a very good exercise for them. Um, mm -hmm. That's really how I try to walk them through that process because it is really hard, especially when they've had, they haven't been able to dictate anything about their life. Right. Yeah. It's a really tough process, but an incredibly valuable one to do right at the start. And we do that with each client because it's so impactful. One of the questions I, I get a lot whenever we're working with someone is, does the lawyer, let, let's say that you're working with the, with the person who's more of the aggressor or more controlling, the more domineering person, doesn't even necessarily have to be domestic violence necessarily, physical violence, but uh, let's say that it's more coercive control and more domination and more intimidation type of things. Uh, I'm, I'm always asked, does their lawyer know? And if their lawyer knows, are they required to help them with that? Like, what does that look like from your perspective? So, you know, my mentor, I will get to your question. I promise you just yep. we're going we're gonna to take a slight roundabout. Wait, wait, I, I always, I always do roundabouts. So people who <laughs> follow me know that I, I do this. I always get out of myself, but go ahead. <laughs> my mentor always told me guard the door, meaning like mm -hmm. when you bring in a client, make sure you enjoy that client, make sure that you are, that you feel like you can work with that client, reach that client's goals. Right. So I will be honest with you. Most of the, I don't have a ton of people who I'm like, Hmm, are you the aggressor? Mm -hmm. Now, there are certainly instances where I, where my client is the one who may be not being reasonable in a certain instance, right? Mm. That definitely happens. And that's a little different than the coercive control. Yeah. But in either situation, um, you know, the way I work with them is, listen, think about if, it, if the shoe was on the other foot, right? Yeah. Because it's going to happen. And there's right. going to be a time when you're going to need their grace and their courtesy, yeah. right? And yes, you may think that it's not going to matter or you don't care. But you are always thinking about, hey, you know, if this was happening to me, I would want X. Or, and even more important, especially if you have somebody who's litigious on the other side, or if you're in the middle of litigation, what's going to happen if the judge hears this? Are we going to sound like kindergartners, you know, arguing about who has to clean up the, the Legos, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and so I'm always trying to push that client to be 
to just rise above. I, I yeah, I agree with you. I, I always tell people that for every give, there's a take. You think that something like first right of refusal, right? Oh. It feels good, right? Whenever someone they have to, you know, you, your thought process is that yeah, if if they need a sitter, they should be able to call me first. But then you don't think that that means that I'm gonna have to call them as well, right? And that's the take. And that person probably possibly could ask you, are you going on a date? They could turn, turn it down. It can become very difficult. And going back to what you said over the next five, 10 years, that can wear, wear you and your kids and that other person pretty thin, pretty quickly when you have to agree to certain things like that. And I saw you, I, yeah, I saw you grimace a bit, you know, at the thought of first right of refusal. It sounds like, so that's not something that you would, you would have your clients agree to. I will say in certain instances, it could work. Okay. But in the vast majority of instances, I have seen it become such a breeding ground for litigation yeah. in the future. And when there is a level of control, like a, a an imbalance of control, mm -hmm. it creates the ability for tracking going forward. Yeah. Right. And reporting, right. You have to feel like you have to report to the other person. Oh, I'm not going to be with the kids. So you have to have them. Yeah. I just, I have found it to be more harmful than helpful. Yeah. And also kind of coming to this from as a child of a divorce, right? My my parents had a very rough divorce. Mm -hmm. uh, they now, oddly, right, Christmas is coming up in a mm -hmm. month or so. They will spend Christmas together, which is very strange because they used to not be able to be in the same room together. Yeah. Okay. So like mm -hmm. very different, right? But I remember being bounced around because, yes, we had our regular schedule, but then every so often, like I'm assuming – one person couldn't have me for the time that I was supposed to be. And so I would go to the yeah. parents' house for a couple of hours. It, it's very disruptive to the child. Yeah. So I have a lot of people that do come to me and I'm like, this sounds great. And I suggest, hey, listen, let's grab a calendar, right? Yeah. And see how does this work in practice? How far apart are your two houses? Uh -huh. Like you two are 45 minutes apart. And, you know, we're talking about a situation where there could be like a transfer and then an hour at one parent and a transfer back. That's insane for everybody, yep. you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I don't love it, but I definitely have people that do it. What are some other pitfalls that people, that other pitfalls that and patterns that you see pretty consistently that lead to further litigation after, after divorce? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, I mean, co-parenting, right? But that's a huge mm -hmm. topic. <laughs> yeah. um, but truly the communication side of it. And I think the problem that I often see is not using some sort of regimented system for communication, mm -hmm. whether it's a co-parenting app or an agreement that, you know, we're going to uh, use only emails or only text messages. Um, some sort of regimented, like this is our system for co-parenting and communication. Yeah. Um, when you don't have that, it creates so many problems. And yeah. even just a shared calendar, right? It, yeah. I, I, I know co-parenting apps, some people are like, love them. Some people hate them. I tend to find them helpful, um, but some people don't like them and that's okay. But then at yeah. the very least establish a shared calendar. That way you're not emailing back, back and forth dates. And then yeah. when you got to go find that date, it's like 17 emails <laughs> below, yeah. you mm -hmm. know? Um, so I definitely think the other area is communication. And yeah. I think you can avoid some of these things just by simple terms and an, an agreement as to, okay, we're going to communicate primarily through email, um, yeah. text messages in an emergency, or we're going to communicate primarily through um, our co-parenting app, text messages in an emergency. 
just designating like this is our primary source. That way you don't have it coming from all avenues because Mm -hmm. I definitely have people who, you know, they're, they, they just, there's continual litigation because of the co-parenting problems. Yeah. When, when you talk about continuous litigation, uh, and some people, I mean, I think that the term legal abuse is starting to, people are starting to become more aware of what legal abuse is. And, um, you know, it sounds like that's something that you've probably dealt with before. How would you, how would you help someone in a situation like that? Or what are some things that people should be aware of to say, you know what, I can see that this person either is or in the future might try to engage in some sort of litigation to try to keep control or just to try to, you know, harass. And what are some things that people can do to either avoid it or, you know, bring themselves peace while they're going through it? I love that you just said bring themselves peace. Okay. Because the first part of your question is, you know, what can they do? Right. And we have to recognize that we can only do so much. We can't change the other side. They have to independently want to change. Right. And more than likely you're at a divorce for, because they weren't able to change or both of you weren't able to change. Right. So I think the first thing people have to do when they're in this type of difficult relationship is recognize that it, not going to be perfect, right? We are not going to be at the Thanksgiving table singing Kumbaya together. And that's okay. It is Mm -hmm. okay. Our kids will still be okay. So once you've reached that point, then secondly, you have to stop trying to ask them to change Mm -hmm. and focus on, okay, listen, on my side of the net, here's what I can do to the best that I can. I, Mm -hmm. I can't control how they're going to receive this, how they're going to respond. I can only control what's on my side. And then you need to focus your communication on stripping it down to mm-hmm. just the bare essentials, right? Like Billetti, right? Uh, the mm-hmm. BIF communication method. I love right. it. And I, and I suggest everyone use it because yeah. it is so valuable to yeah. avoid, you know, the, that little extra sentence that then sparks 70 mm-hmm. messages. Yeah. Right. We, uh, we, we teach, uh, the Biff method as well. We're, we're, you know, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, I, I think that you're, you're alluding to the fact of like, we have to change our expectations of what that person is capable of. I tell people that we have to lower our expectations of that mm-hmm. other person. A lot of times we have these lofty expectations or we think that this person, maybe they have the ability to co-parent well, but it's, if you haven't seen that, then a lot of time, or if they've been controlling or problematic all throughout the relationship, there's not a reason for us to believe that this person is all of a sudden going to, going to turn things, going to turn things around. A lot of times BIF communication or, uh, other, other forms of communication is really just healthy communication when it comes to someone like this, right? It's just having reasonable expectations of where that relationship is at. Exactly. And really trying hard not to do something that might accidentally, right, or or on purpose, stoke, right? Because you do know most of the time you could guess as to what could potentially spark something, right? Like mm-hmm. my messages with my husband, like, I know, okay, maybe I shouldn't say that, right? Because I know he's going to get cranky with me. Yeah. It's the same thing, you know? So it, it, it falls on both sides of the, of the aisle, right? We both, everybody has a requirement to try. Certainly the other side may not and, you know, okay, but you still have to try, even if they are not. Um, I think those are the biggest things. Um, Other item that I think people in a contentious or difficult relationship need to realize 
is that, you know, the, the agreement is only a piece of paper, right? You could put all of these wonderful terms into it, but there's no guarantee it's going to all get followed. Right. And so many times- and No matter what, it's not going to be perfect. There's always going to be nuance. There's always going to be an issue. There's always going to be something that didn't get detailed in the, in the decree, you know, who picks up the child when they get sick or, you know, um, it's, uh, it's your week, but it happens to be their holiday or, you know, and, and there's only so much that the courts can do. And that's something that, that, you know, so at some point in time, it still comes back to like real actual people making decisions and being flexible with each other. Exactly. Exactly. You, I have people who are like, no, we have to lock this down. Right. And Mm -hmm. okay. But remember every term we put in there that they got to follow, you got to follow too. You know, everyone wants to, everyone wants to, you know, it sounds good when it's them, but you always forget that, that just like we were talking about before every give, there's a take. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, You know, so I think you have mentioned, right. The abuse by litigation, you -hmm. know, uh, I have a couple of cases that that's there. Unfortunately, that's what's been happening. And yeah. I do think that at some point, some judges, they start to to realize it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that realization happens a lot later in the picture, right? Yeah. Uh, it takes time. Yeah. And it, it's so frustrating because you see your client go through this and you're like, yeah. there's only so much I can do to help you, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. What do you... For a lot of people, I think that this is something that isn't talked about enough. Sometimes we forget that we ourselves can be the one who might be problematic, who might be over litigating. You may not see it as abuse on your end, but you know you are trying to trying to prove a point, or you're trying. You may not necessarily trying to elicit control, but uh, we just kind of get stuck in the sloop where we're fighting for everything and trying to get that person to change or whatever the case is. How, when should a person actually take someone back to court for litigation versus they need to try to figure something out on their own or through mediation? That is an excellent, excellent question. Because Thank I think you. so many, yeah. Oh, we've been doing this for a while. No, really good. Because I think so frequently people are like, Go file in family court, right? Or go file in whatever court would hear this matter. Um, I think you know you've you have no other option but family court after you've tried on your own, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe trying on your own is, hey, you connected with a communication coach without the other side, right? Yeah. Like maybe you tried co-parenting and the other side won't do it. Okay. Maybe they maybe then you tried to go to your own counseling and, and work mm-hmm. with your own counselor to say, hey, how what communication strategies can I use? right? What boundaries do I need to set? I think you need to do some independent work first um, Mm -hmm. before just running to family court. Certainly there's some emergency instances where, yes, you need to try. Um, I also think that it could be, depending on the relationship, it could be worthwhile trying to connect with a mediator and seeing Mm -hmm. if the person would go to mediation because a lot of the times family court, you know, I would say any attorney worth their salt is going to tell you, don't give up all control to a judge. Right. right. You don't mm-hmm. want a judge deciding these things. You mm-hmm. want it. You are the parent. And so at the very, maybe try mediation before running to family court. It all mm-hmm. kind of depends upon how emergent the issue is. Um, but I definitely think you need to try some other avenues before just running to family court because I've rarely seen family court be truly the answer to a situation. 
And, and um, uh, you know, a lot of people feel like there's an issue with family court, but is there ever really going to be like a solution because there's so much nuance with, with every, every single person, every single family, uh, you know, so is it that the system is imperfect or is it that it's just unrealistic to have a perfect system? I think it's unrealistic to have a perfect system. I truly do. Because you've got judges who are coming to the situation with, yes, they must apply the law, right? Yeah. But the law specifically says that it needs to account for those specific facts of the case before you. Yeah. And of course, that person's going to bring in their own personal known or unknown biases, yeah. right? That's just how we're humans. That's just, yeah. that happens. And then you've got the situation that you've got the other layer of the fact that, hey, there's rules of evidence. Not all yeah. of this might come before the court. Only maybe a fraction of this is going to come yeah. before the court. Um, and you have burdens of proof to meet. So, yeah, I think it's just an imperfect system. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, we're, we're heading into the holiday season. You know, uh, for those of you who are listening, we're, we're, this is probably going to air after Thanksgiving. But we're heading into the holiday season. And I think that some people experience this throughout the year regardless. But. What does someone do when that parent, the other parent, is making threats of taking back the full custody? Maybe someone starts dating again, and so now all of a sudden the other person is angry and threatening to take the other person full custody, or uh, they're not returning the children on, you know, a holiday or birthday as agreed and that sort of thing. Um, you know, should that person litigate like immediately? Like, how how would someone like structure a situation like that? That's so nuanced, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's really going to depend how mm -hmm. much, t in my view, if somebody was to come to me for a consult and say, what do I do, right? Yeah. I would look first to see how much time do you have before mm -hmm. you need this resolved, yeah. right? If you've got like a very little bit of time, mediation, co-parent, that's not going to work. You don't have yeah. time for it, right? right. Filing in court, it at least is going to force it's, it's at least going to force a court conference, a judge to yeah. be involved, whether it's the judge making the decision or you guys being forced to discuss it and figure it out mm -hmm. at the court conference. It's going to force something to happen very fast. Yeah. Of course, the negative to that is the cost, right? The financial and emotional cost. Yeah. And, and I think that going back to reasonable expectations, the other issue that I find a lot of people run into is that it's not going to solve the solution today. You know, if they, if that other person is just hell bent on not returning them on Thanksgiving, they're probably going to win those small battles. And I always tell people, well, you want to win the the large battle of making sure that you're seeing your, your child on a regular basis. But that small battle, they might win that, that small battle. And then uh, I think that's, that's tough for a lot of people, a tough pill for a lot of people as well. It's so hard. Keeping perspective is mm -hmm. so tough when you're going through this break because they're like, right, but they won that battle. They won that battle. They won that battle. When is my battle? When is the one that I get to win? And right. it, it's like, you just have to trust that you will get there, right? Yeah. And I don't know which one it's going to be, but it will matter that they <laughs> won, won all of these battles. But yeah. you stay focused on the overall issue and the overall goal. Yeah. One of your videos I saw, and it was something that I talk about a lot. It's the first time I heard a lawyer talk about this. Uh, is caring too much about what other people, th uh, the, the other co-parent thinks, mm -hmm. right? Still thinking, you know, still want, I, I always say that, you know, you're not going to be 
they're never going to say, oh, you're a great mother or you're a great father. They're more often than not, they're still going to have complaints. But a lot of times people are spending their life and, you know, overexerting themselves trying to prove a point to someone who's never going to be pleased with you. Can you talk a little bit about that and from your perspective of what, what you've seen? Absolutely. When you go through a divorce, unfortunately, depending on the attorney or depending on the yeah. system, right? It's a negative process. You know, some attorneys just, or, or people just focus on the negatives, right? They didn't do this. They didn't do this. And so naturally your client or whoever it is wants some redemption, right? Yeah. And you're not going to get the redemption from a judge. A judge isn't going to say you are the perfect parent, right? Yeah. And even if they did, most of the time you want to hear from your co-parent, right? Yeah. And so you're going now in after you've gone through this potentially terrible litigation or difficult litigation, right? I don't want to be so negative, but difficult litigation. Yeah. You then have to co-parent with this person for the next yeah. umpteen years. Um, and I think people, they want an apology. It's yeah. natural. It's human yeah. nature. We want an apology when someone did something wrong to us, right? Yeah. Because some people come into the divorce and it, it's like gloves are off, which is very unfortunate. And that's yeah. what we try so hard to remind our clients, like, when you're going through this process, what we do right now impacts the rest of your co-parenting career, yeah, you know? And absolutely. so for those people that have that situation where they're like, I was, I was so wronged, right? I was so wronged by my co-parent during our divorce. And then they spend the next seven years mm -hmm. wanting that apology. Yeah. Oh my gosh, please stop. Yeah. Because you're just wasting your time and your effort. Refocus that onto the fact that, hey, you know you are a good parent. You don't yep. need their validation, uh -huh. you know? And quite frankly, you're not going to get it. And yep. that's okay because mm -hmm. you don't need that. What your kids need is you to be present in their world. And that's something I am sure you have done since day one for them. And all that matters is that your kids know it, not that your co-parent acknowledges it. Yep. Lauren, this has been absolutely amazing. We appreciate uh, all of your knowledge, all of your wisdom, all of your experience that, that you've shared with us today. Uh, I think that a lot of people are, are going to gain a lot of wisdom, at, at, you know, especially with uh, the the, the uh, litigation abuse. I, I don't think that's talked about enough. And then, you know, the expectation, you know, lowering our expectation of the of the other co-parent. Um, where can people find more information about you? We we have a lot of followers in New York, so I'm sure a lot of people are going to be contacting you. But um, but also, uh, where can people find you at? Where can they? you know, gain more knowledge or if they want to, to learn more about you, where, where are some good places that they can connect with you at? Yeah. So like you, I kept everything very simple. Yeah. <laughs> so everything is just my name. So on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and social media platforms, you can find me at Lauren Hunt ESQ. Mm -hmm. And then my website is laurenhuntesq.com. Awesome. And if you are watching, whether you're watching on YouTube or on social media, Make sure you guys go down to the links down below and make sure you guys comment. Let Lauren know how much you appreciate her, something that maybe you, uh, you've learned today, a takeaway that maybe that you're going to use in your divorce. Also, you can go into the show notes as well, and you can all of her information is going to be available in the show notes. So make sure you guys connect with her there as well. Make sure you guys shoot her a follow, send her some DMs, make sure you guys send her some love and support on social media. With all that being said, thank you guys very much, and I will see you in the next episode. You guys have a good one.